Well, I'm really excited this morning. My name is Randy, by the way. I'm the elders here at uh, DOXA. I'm really excited this morning to have uh, Jimmy Callum share the word with us. Uh, some of you already met his better half, and I really mean that. No offense meant. Uh, Jimmy, yesterday, uh, his wife Susie led a women's gathering uh, out at Market Commons and uh, heard really good things. I was very jealous uh, to hear that they got to hear you teach and got to spend time together and eat some good food. Um, we met uh, Jimmy, uh, some of us, uh, we have a regional pastors meeting for our denomination up in Charlotte and uh, his church, the church at Charlotte at the time uh, hosted it. And uh, it, was, it was really cool to, to meet him there. But what really stood out was, you know, he was a busy man, he had a lot of stuff going on, but he took time for, for us at our little church and our little church plant here in uh, Myrtle Beach and, and to give us advice and give us some thoughts and just to lend a listening ear. And then when after I think 42 years, they transitioned out of the leadership to the next generation there at Church of Charlotte, uh, now called New City. Uh, they offered to Megan and I to be uh, like a mentor relationship with us. And it's meant a lot. We've met, met with them a couple of times and spent some time. And, and particularly, I think for me, uh, the time that we spent together about a year and a half ago with Megan and I just, and Susie and Jimmy just talking about what does it mean to be a pastor and wife and you know, with all their experience, um, that was really meaningful. And then somewhere about a year ago, uh, I was questioning, man, I just thought I was doing a terrible job, probably was doing a terrible job in this role and was questioning whether I was even called to this or not. And I was kind of on the ledge of the windowsill and I sent uh, Jimmy a, a text just saying, hey, I don't know, I'm just if I'm even called this whole thing. And he, he called me and he pastored me and he spoke with me, he shared his heart, he listened to me and he prayed for me. And it was really, uh, really meaningful to me. And so I hope that uh, what we gain this morning is um, uh, the insight from uh, his years of ministry, he and Susie, both of their years of ministry, and just from him to share his word with us. And so I pray you'd open your heart as I'll open my heart and really be, I'm really anxious to hear what the Lord has to say for us. Let me pray for Jimmy as he comes forward. Um, Lord, I pray for uh, Jimmy and I pray for the shark here and pray that you would um, pour out your spirit upon him, that as he opens his word, that we'd be able to hear clearly um, what you are having to say through him and to us. And I pray that even he and Susie would be blessed um, with our time together and refreshment in your word and the fellowship. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Randy. I appreciate that. And you did not mishear him. He called me the shark. And you'll have to ask him why he does that. It's uh, a mystery to me after all these years, but he still does that, and I'll accept it, and, um, you know, what can I say? Hey, Susie and I are delighted to be here this weekend with you all, Doxa. Um, and I want to thank Randy and Megan for the invitation, the welcome that we've received. And as Randy said, <coughs> excuse me, after four decades of ministry, we stepped away from local church ministry and, and being a pastor, and we began a ministry together called Tandem Spirituality. And Tandem Spirituality is really doing what Randy just described. It's Susie and I pouring back into the lives of church leadership and their families. Um, we have a, a fairly good idea about the price you pay in those kinds of roles, in that kind of position. And so anything we can do to help strengthen the generation that is pastoring local churches now, that's what we're doing. And that's what we do. And I love that we're doing it together. And I, I don't know if you can fully understand Sorry, it's um, all the challenges that um, pastors face. Everybody faces challenges, but there's some uniquenesses in pastors' challenges. 
and, and for them and their families. And that's really where my wife's heart is. And so, and that's been amplified in the last 18 months, has it not? I mean, I got out of ministry just at the right time. Beginning of t- 2019, because by the time you got to 2020, everything changed dramatically. Here's my one request for you here at DOXA. Pray for your pastor and his family. Pray for the pastoral staff and their families. And, and pray that God would keep them strengthened in a time of uh, where we as a nation face um, divides like I've never seen. And they're in a position here to minister to people's hearts and lives. And I just pray that you will pray for them. Uh, you're in a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And so far you've looked at love, joy, and peace. And we're going to hit the pause button today. I want to take a step back from that series, and I want to seek to answer this question, what does it mean to live in the Spirit? What does it mean to live in the Spirit? The the Holy Spirit is often, in my mind, the forgotten member of the Trinity, right? We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, and somehow we forget about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we, we just ignore Him because we don't understand Him, or we're somehow afraid of Him, or, or we go the other direction, and the only thing we ever focus is on the gifts of the Spirit. And what gift do I have? And are all the gifts still valid today? None of which those things do nothing to answer the question of what does it mean to live in the Spirit? So as we explore this question in the verses that were read earlier, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 7 or your devices or however you get there, if you can get to Romans chapter 7. And we want to begin by what does it mean to be released, as Paul tells us here, to live in a new way, in a different way? Um, This is Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And he delivers this very rational, orderly presentation of the truth of God that he wants us to know. And and for many people, the book of Romans is like this. We're going to enter into a classroom, and Paul's going to lay out to us the gospel, and Paul's going to give us, so we take out a pen and paper, we take out our laptop, and we organize it into a system of belief, and we're ready for the exam. I mean, you think about it, that one of the things that's talked about in Christianity is what? The, The Roman road. Why? Because you can walk your way through the book of Romans and present the gospel in an orderly, organized fashion, and Paul does it with a masterful, under the Holy Spirit's guidance. And it's what we would call, what I would call, rational truth. Truth matters, folks. Doctrine matters. Orthodoxy matters. But rational truth must lead into relational truth to experience life with the triune God, Holy Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let let me try to illustrate the difference between rational truth and relational truth. Bottle of water. And, And maybe it says here, purified drinking water. That's really good. And then it gives me some of the things that it has in there, some minerals that are in there, and some other things that are in there. And, and I look at a bottle of water like this one, and I check its purity. I, I check the levels that are there of the pH levels and, and mineral contents. I, I make sure it's something, it's not something other than water. And all of that's necessary. But it does nothing to refresh me. Until what? Until I open it. And I drink. And if I'm thirsty, the only way water is going to quench my thirst and refresh me is if I open it, not just examine it, but I open it and take care of it and drink it. I had a friend who went home to be with Jesus this year, and he described the experience of relational truth 
That's learning to dance with the Trinity. To, to begin by learning to serve in the new way of the Spirit. That's what Romans 7, 6 says. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You and I have been released this morning, folks. Released from the law. Why? Because what the law did was this. The law showed us our inability to keep the law. I don't care how moral you are. I don't care how good you are. I don't care all the things you've done. You cannot live up to the law. It showed us our sin. How, How did I know when I've sinned? Well, the law told me pretty clearly where I've sinned. And Paul says here, you've been released to serve, released from the law, released to serve a slave to Christ. It's the new way of the Spirit. It's the old covenant versus the new covenant. What frees me? What frees you to live that way? Well, the answer is this radical double event that took place in history, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Go over to Romans chapter 8 for a second and and listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh for sin. The law's not bad, but the law was weakened because God did something that was weak? No, because of me, because of my sin, because of you, because of your sin. And, and God says, listen, I've freed you to a new way of living, and, and the Christian life is serving the risen Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says in Romans, we've been set free for a new way to live. Does that mean we're free from the battle that still rages within us for, to sin? No, just read the rest of chapter 7. <laughs> the apostle Paul the the author of more than half the New Testament, talks about the struggle he has with doing things he doesn't want to do and not doing things he wants to do. That that struggle, by the way, will go on until the day you go home to be with Jesus. There's no end to that struggle. Why? Because while I have been redeemed by faith in what Jesus Christ did for me, my body is not fully redeemed, neither is yours. There still is this ongoing tension that all of us live with between our sin nature in our redeemed nature. So what makes the difference? I think what makes the difference is the power that God supplies. And with that in mind, go over to the Galatians passage now with me, if you would, in Galatians chapter three. Because in Galatians chapter three, Paul's gonna talk, I believe, about what it means to live in the spirit. And he's gonna begin that by talking about the power that God supplies. The Galatian letter, the Galatian church, struggled with the law. They struggled with the freedom that came because of what Christ had done for them and being bound by the law. And Paul wants to make two things clear in this letter. The first is this, they're not under law, but under grace. Justification is the big theological word we use. They've been justified. It's as if they'd never sinned. And he says, we're not under the law, but under grace. It's not by our obedience, but by God's sheer mercy and grace that we've been saved. See, obedience never leads to salvation. Never leads to salvation. Salvation leads to obedience, however. And if you think obedience somehow is going to make you right with God, Paul's going to say throughout this letter, no, you don't understand it. Justification comes by grace. 
not by obeying the law. But then he says we're led by the Spirit in a process that, we, again, using a, a bigger word, called sanctification. I, I'm, I'm going to look more and more like Jesus. Paul says this throughout his letters. In 2 Corinthians, he says that, that we're being transformed daily to look more and more like Jesus in our actions and our behaviors. Not by my own struggle to keep the law, but by the power of the indwelling Spirit. And that's what he's going to center in on through a series of five questions to bring that into focus. He begins in chapter 3 by saying, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's, it's a question of foundational reality. He goes on to say, it was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. The, the cross of Christ is the central fact to which all other truth is subordinate to. This unique, massive, unprecedented, unparalleled event. The, the event that changed my life. The event that changed your life. The single event that changes the lives of people down through the centuries, all around the world, when they come into the sheer reality of this event of Jesus' death and his resurrection. All, all that's necessary for me to have a relationship with the living God is to believe in the finished work of Christ, period. You can't add anything to what Jesus did on the cross. And Paul says this, Who, who's bewitched you? Don't, don't you remember? We've taught you from the very beginning that Christ was crucified. The foundational reality. And then he goes to the second question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing the, with faith? It's a question now of experience. Paul began with saying, here's the foundational reality. Who's bewitched you? Don't you remember that Jesus Christ died for you? Now, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's a question of experience. And, and the gospel keeps us in touch with our personal experience by bringing us back to this great act of faith. And Paul says, let me, let, me, let me say that to you again. How'd you get the Spirit? Did you do something to earn the Spirit? No. It, it's this experience, and it's the gospel, and he brings us back to it. And then he comes to his third question. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's a question of whose effort, folks. See, I, I grew up in a, a Bible-teaching church. I'm going to use a phrase that may or may not resonate. It, it was a fundamentalist church. What did, that, what did that mean to me? Well, it meant to me we were saved by grace, and then we worked really hard to keep ourselves there. That's what it meant. Common sense would say, if it all began by grace, why would I think it wouldn't continue the same way and yet we oftentimes turn Christianity into a performance-based experience. We turn it into some kind of moralistic code that we have to follow in order to keep ourselves in good graces with God. And it's exhausting. Saved by grace, but living by my efforts. That was my early life as a believer. I, as I said to you, I grew up in the church my mom and dad were both believers. My dad was in Christian ministry all his life. And as ever I can remember, I was in, I was in church. 
I, I knew enough to know that I needed to be saved by grace. That's what separated us from other religions and other groups because we would say that we were saved by grace. And I thought that's where grace stopped. It punched my ticket into eternity. Good for me. Now I had to work really hard. And I had to perform really well. And I had to do all the things that were expected of, of, of me and my church. In, my, in our church, um, we had deacons. That was the, the highest ruling body. Don't ask me why, but we had deacons and we had trustees. Probably tells you I grew up Baptist. But anyway, um, I, I just remember at 16, I was going to join the church. And so the process that my church had was that you set up an evening with the elder or the deacons and the senior pastor and you went into a room and you sat down with them and you gave them your testimony and you told them why you wanted to join the church. Can you imagine a 16-year-old walking into a room, everybody had gray hair or no hair? That was my definition of what it meant to be a leader in the church, by the way. You either had gray hair or no hair. And I sat at the end of the table, at the far end sat my senior pastor who was a very intimidating man. And so I told them how I had come to know Christ and when I accepted Jesus and I prayed at the foot of my bed with my mom and dad when I was seven. And then they took a piece of paper and they slid it across to me and said, here's the covenant you have to sign. Now, what are we talking about? It's a covenant of behavior. If you're going to be a member of this church, here, here's the things. And all I can remember were the things I couldn't do. Remember, I'm 16 years old. Can't dance, can't go to the movies, can't drink, can't smoke, can't, 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 sign it. And what it did was reinforce to me that it's all about performance. You don't have to engage your heart. You just have to perform really well. And you just have to understand the, the standards of any group that you're going to join with. And, and Paul says, what, are you that foolish that having begun by the spirit, you think somehow you're being perfected by the flesh? Use your head, in essence, he's saying. Common sense should keep me from abandoning the gospel of grace, and yet oftentimes it doesn't. There, there's some of you, my guess would be, because you're no different than anybody else I would talk to, who are working really hard to live the Christian life. And you've got your own set of rules, you've got your own set of whatever, that you're working hard to have a checklist every day to do this, to do this, to do this, to do this. Reading the Bible, by the way, didn't, didn't come out of a joy of wanting to open up God's word and get to know him better. It was a checklist. And if you didn't do it and you had a bad day, that's why you had a bad day. Because you hadn't read your Bible that morning. Folks, that's not living in, by the Spirit. He goes on, his fourth question is this. Do, do you suffer so many things in vain? A, a question of what's important a question of what we value. What, what happens when our values are denied or they're mocked by those around us? Do we abandon them? Do I change the things that I believe in that um, supply the direction and the purpose for how I live? And Paul said, did you suffer so many things? You, you suffered as a follower of Jesus. Are you going to abandon it all, make it all in vain? Because you've been going through difficulty? Th things are changing dramatically in the country that we live in. What if it becomes more and more difficult 
to be a follower of Jesus. To live with the values that we say we believe. Paul says, did you suffer so many things in vain? Have you, have you given those up? And then his last question. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's a question of the good gifts of God. The word supply in the English, here's one of the times where the English word probably doesn't do justice to what he's really talking about here. The word supply is an interesting word. The the root word there in the Greek (laughs) is to dance. And when it's joined together with the verb, it means to lead a dance. Did he supply the spirit to you? To lead the dance. To to, to lead us in this dance with the triune God. And does he do that and work miracles among you by works of the law or by hearing with faith? See, that's what I go back to in the very beginning. My friend used that phrase that, that we're to enter into a dance with the Trinity led by the Spirit of God. Because God furnishes things abundantly. He's this vast reservoir of blessing who furnishes it abundantly to us and he wants us to experience that with him. Well, how do you do that? You do that by living in the spirit. I read a recent article uh, within the last week, maybe you've seen it too. Hoover Dam out west, Lake Mead, the, the lake that was formed by Hoover Dam, is at water level levels that are an all-time low. It's never been this low. The reservoir is drying up. It furnishes water to Arizona, California, and Nevada, and there's a state of emergency that they're ready to declare because the water levels have become so low. This reservoir that provides life-giving water to three states in our nation is in trouble. Guess who's not? God. And he supplies for us abundantly everything he needs through his spirit who leads the dance as we experience the triune God. Everything we need in his spirit to live the Christian life. Do do I think rational truth is important? I really do. But if you stop there and never bring it into your life and never experience it, it's just like if I look at a bottle of water like this and go, boy, it really looks good. I bet this could really quench my thirst. And I never take it. I never experience it for myself. What good does it do me? So with that, what does it mean to live in the spirit? What's it look like to live in the spirit? See, as I've studied and as I prepared for this weekend, it was as if God would say this, God speaking, I have found a way to supply the power that you lack. Boy, do I know I lack power most days to live the Christian life. The power that you need to become the person you long to be, the person I alone can make you. See, it's God alone. It's God alone who has the power to make me a worshiper of him. We, we sang songs in worship this morning. We had scripture read. We've prayed. All those things are important things in our lives. But guess what? Unless it's coming out of my heart, unless it's been experienced by me, I, I'm not a worshiper. 
But God says this, I've, I'll give you the power you need to be a worshiper of me, a lover of, a, of my son, and a dancer with my spirit. A worshiping, loving, dancing community who feel indebted to reveal Jesus to the world. Listen, by the way you relate to each other. By the way, on your website, that's your name, Doxa. I, I read this straight off your website. When God goes public with his beauty, that's, that's who you say you are. When God goes public with his beauty, one way he does it is through you, your community, and when you live in the spirit as a community. So here's my simple definition. To live by the spirit means to love others no matter how painfully you're hurting or how badly you fail. That's living in the spirit. Because I can't do it, and neither can you. Let me say it again. To live by the spirit means to love others no matter how painfully you're hurting. Maybe there are those of you here this morning who are really hurting. Life's been hard for whatever reason, but you're hurting. And you know what happens when you're hurting? The last thing you think about doing is extending yourself to somebody else, right? I mean, everybody ought to be extending themselves to me because I'm hurting. No. When I take and live in the power of the spirit who lives within me, I can love somebody else no matter how painfully I'm hurting or how badly I failed. And I fail. More often than I like to admit to. But I fail. You know what happens when I fail? I don't want to be around people. I, I don't want to be around anybody else. You know why? Because, well, part of it is I'm embarrassed. Part of it is I don't know what to do or what to say. That's too relationally. It's really true within my marriage. And I think of times when I fail Susie, fail to be a loving husband to her. You know what I don't want? I don't want to be around her. Because it's a reminder to me of how I failed. And, and, and when I do that, I'm going to withdraw into myself. And, and I'm going to shut things out. The last thing I think about doing is going, okay, I failed, but I'm still called to love her. I'm hurting, but I'm still called to love you. And what Paul talks about is not something that you and I can do in our own strength. That's why he says, did you receive, uh, have you begun by the spirit and are you now being perfected by the flesh? No. See, what God did was he said, I want you to live this life following my son. We call it the Christian life. But you can't do it. See, the law has already proven you can't do it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to place my spirit in you. He, he talked about it all throughout the Old Testament. In the book of Jeremiah, he talks about taking what was a heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh, replacing that which was written on tablets, his law, and turning it into one who lives within us, his spirit. Why? Because hear me, folks, you cannot live the Christian life in your own strength, in your own power. It is impossible. 
And if that's what you're trying to do, you're going to find yourself exhausted and frustrated and maybe even saying, the heck with the Christian life. I can't do it. But what happens when I take the truth of God's word, and that's what it is, it's truth, and I turn it into what I experience, relational truth. I begin to experience Father, Son, and Spirit, the triune God. I'm set free to love, to believe that God is good, and that the larger story God is telling is unfolding under his control. God's good. We sing it. We say it. God's good all the time. All the time, God's good. <laughs> Say that to somebody who's just gotten a tough diagnosis medically. Say that to somebody who's going through relational fractures. Say that to somebody who's just lost their job. Say that to somebody who has unexplainable difficulty in their life. In other words, there's no action that they've done to cause the difficulty they're going through. Tell them that God is good. Do you still believe it then? See, Paul says, and scripture says, I want you to believe that God is good and that there's a larger story he's telling and he's got it under his control. I don't understand the ways of God, folks. <laughs> I really don't. I don't understand why some things happen the way they do to people, but not to everybody. But I'm going to believe he's telling a larger story. And it's a good story. Because it's going to promote his name and all of its goodness. See, it's faith in God and hope for tomorrow that I believe frees me to love today. Living in the Spirit is not about gifts. I understand the gifts of the Spirit. I understand that every single person sitting in here who knows Jesus as their Savior has been given a gift. I think it's great. You know what the gifts of the Spirit are there for? They're there to build up the body of Christ. They're not there for me to brag about what I have or what I don't have. They're to build up the body of Christ. But, but living in the Spirit's not about gifts. It's not about power. It's not about knowledge. It's not about position. It's seen in the way we live with one another. It's seen in the fruit of the Spirit. As you go through this series on the fruit of the Spirit, the nine fruit, singular, the nine components of the fruit of the Spirit are so often seen in what? They're seen in relationships. They're seen in how you treat each other. How you treat each other when you disagree with each other. How you treat each other when you failed each other. How you treat each other when you're deeply hurting. Because to live by the Spirit means to live others no matter what. No matter what. You say, I can't do that. You're right. And that's why he placed inside you the Spirit. He supplied. The Spirit is the one who will lead the dance as you experience the triune God in all his glory, in all his goodness, for his name's sake. Because we've been released. We've been free to serve in a new way of the Spirit. We've been released to live in a relationship with the triune God of this universe to make a difference in how we live our everyday lives. Not the big extraordinary things in life, although there are those, right? But I'm talking about the ordinary, 
mundane, everyday things in life to live that way. How you have treated people already this morning, how I've treated people this morning, makes a difference of whether I'm trying to do it in my own strength or letting the Spirit lead the dance so that I can reveal Jesus. As your name and your website say, when God goes public with his beauty, he's gonna do it through you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and I thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you for the truth that is there and I thank you for that which we can experience. What it looks like to love you. What it looks like to live in and through the power of your spirit who lives within us. Father, may we feel a freedom. A freedom to dance with you and your son in a dance that's led by your spirit. And so Father, we put this and commit all this to you. Father, challenge me to live that way. Challenge each of us to live that way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.